Has Marvel Finally Killed the Town? I am the last manager of the last video store in the universe and the host of Binge Movies, a podcast where we typically rank a minimum of five films with film fans, film fanatics, filmmakers, film critics, determining which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time. We have four seasons a year. At the end of every season, we have last movie standing, and you get to decide, our listeners, which movies are most worthy for preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. Who will win the upcoming last movie standing? What movies will make it onto my short list and our acclaimed guests guest list? You're going to have to tune in to find out. New season is coming March of 2023, which is right around the corner if you're not paying attention. If you wanted this instant reaction or things like it, even more instantaneously, plus exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash binge movies. That's patreon.com slash binge movies. The minimum tier, becoming a video club member, gives you access to instant reactions even more instantaneously than on the main feed. Go ahead and check it out. We appreciate your support. Every dollar you give goes right back into uh, making this show as good as it can possibly be. And some new creative endeavors that we want to attempt in this still new year. (sighs) Ant-Man Quantumania. Okay, if you're new to this sort of thing that I do, the first time listening to me, it's going to be no spoilers up front, hard break, then spoilers. Uh, Truth be told, I've already talked for 30 minutes. And (laughs) um, the world would be a better place. Probably hear, like hearing about half of that. So I'm going to save you some time. And just cut to the chase. That is that comic book st- storytelling is very akin to professional wrestling storytelling. And that is very akin to ancient mythology. You have to have clear archetypal good guys. Who we can become avatars for our desires Uh, Movies used to work the same way. Any sort of attraction-based form of entertainment, anything that's meant to draw a crowd, typically had a baby face in movie language, used to call it a matinee idol, although sometimes they call them baby faces. And you had a heel. You had an antagonist. You had a bad guy. You had a villain. You have to have a compelling hero and a compelling villain and challenges that the hero must overcome. Joseph Campbell, Hero of a Thousand Faces, 101 in pro wrestling. We call it the chase. The money is in the chase. And if a hot baby face is a hot chase after a big old heel, it'll actually draw attention, not just from people who watch, because wrestling always has these either individual territories, companies, or the industry as a whole, always has boom and bust cycles, much like uh, movies have had. Um, And what you will notice is after after every boom, there's a down period. You see the same thing in the the, uh, height of the box office of the 1990s, and then you look at the both creative and economic down period of the early 2000s. You know, we weren't producing Independence Days, whether you like that movie or not, 
it was a mat or a better example would be Titanic. We weren't producing Titanic. So it wasn't as if Titanic suddenly gave way to 10 more cultural phenomena. Something like that happens organically, even though it may be, you know, somebody's attempting to make it happen, but whether or not it actually happens, whether or not one of those movies grabs the zeitgeist is semi-organic. Pro wrestling works the same way. Comic books would work the same way. Word of mouth. This is an incredible run. This great stories. Oh my gosh. The, the last issue had this amazing twist. I can't wait to see what happens next. And then more and more people. You tell somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody. And then before you know it, sometimes those art forms can cross over into the mainstream. So people who are not familiar with comic book storytelling or professional wrestling storytelling or who wouldn't normally go to a movie theater or who wouldn't normally see a movie more than once in a movie theater are now doing so. It's when you can translate casual fans or casual people into people who will give you money. When, when you can get casual people to behave like hardcore fans, that is when you are at the top. Infinity War, Endgame, most of Phase 3 did that because of the groundwork that was laid in Phase 1 and Phase 2. It was a uh, novelty it was a transition, transitional period in movie making in a larger framework. It was a grassroots sort of campaign. It started off slow. It built momentum. It got you invested in people. You had two baby faces who ended up getting white hot in both Iron Man and Captain America. They had natural clashes amongst themselves. There were ups and downs along the way, but for the most part, enough of the story and enough of those characters successfully got over that they began to draw. Uh, uh, mainstream audiences beyond typical comic book and comic book movie fans. And by the end of the Infinity Saga, which is a hot storyline, they captured popular culture. Now you're in a down period. From 19, late 97, early 1998 through 2001, one of the most popular things on television was professional wrestling in North America with roughly, just in the United States alone, about 13 million people tuning in just on Mondays to watch wrestling. 13 million people. It was second only to the NFL, and in many weeks, it beat Monday Night Football. And it wasn't just one company, it was actually two companies, WCW and WWF, had many weeks in which the NFL would Monday night football. And that's back before you had Thursday night football and Wednesday night football and Tuesday night football. It was Monday night football was the institution and they would beat it. And there were times where both shows beat it and football came in third. And then it went into the basically a 20 year monopoly and fallow period where money was still being made, but it was, the antithesis of popular culture. It went beyond niche. It was only for absolute hardcore people. Are we at that moment for the MCU? I think maybe. If we're not, we're pretty much at the cusp of it. We're definitely at a come down period. We're definitely in a cool down period where there is, I would say, a lack of creativity, a more generalized fatigue in your casual audience and greater scrutiny towards 
it's the storytelling and world building that these movies do, that the MCU does. Because the one other thing about audiences and people is that they are fickle. And so people love something and they're, they're crazy for it until just suddenly they're sick of it. And they don't really want it again until it's taken away from them. Because if you're just ubiquitous all the time, they love you, 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 and then they start to resent you and hate you, they want to see you fall. And that's where I think we are at the MCU. Because I think if Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania came out somewhere in like phase two, I think people would be losing their minds over it. It doesn't mean that everything about this movie works. It doesn't mean that this everything about this movie lands. But I went in this movie knowing what it was going to be with appropriate expectations based on the trailers that were set. And I felt like the movie lived up to what was it said it was going to deliver, which was a excellent heel antagonistic performance by Jonathan Majors. That's what I needed. That's what I wanted. That's what sold me the ticket. If you're a fan of Ant-Man because Ant-Man wasn't about world building and and infinity stones and the end of the world and multiverses and weird creatures it wasn't about Ragnarok or ethers or dark elves or super Nazis or whatever. It was just about, you know, some bumbling, funny, lovable criminals, um, who, and a guy had goofy powers in a goofy world trying to like steal a building and put it in a suitcase. Then you might not like that because a lot of that stuff has been jettisoned. But what you have to realize is that, to use pro wrestling parlance, Ant-Man has been moved up the card because you've had the death of um, Black Widow. So your top female draw in the promotion, gone. Your two top baby faces, basically your three top baby faces, gone. They're just gone. So there's... There's nobody to rest the promotion. You got to put the title on somebody and somebody's their shoulders. This has to rest on the shoulders of somebody. Now, the argument could be made where it's, which is that maybe that person should have been Thor and not Ant-Man. Um, and instead, they decided to make whatever it is they decided to make out of that last Thor movie, which I think is abominable. And the more I think about it, the worse it is. But they did. They decided to put on this character. And that's the challenge is you now have to sell a, essentially a comedy character as now a fairly serious character. I don't think it's beyond the grasp of Paul Rudd, but I think this the, what, there's two really main problems with the movie. And uh, then I'll get into maybe some light spoilers. Um, is that the overarching plot of this film and the stakes and what it represents and what it creates for the future and how it connects to things that we've seen so far since infinity war. It's all like kind of heavy science fantasy and a lot of bad guy stuff. It's a lot of like world building to like, who's the bad guy? What's his intentions? It's a lot of the things that people have been like, what is this about? What are we building towards? This is a movie. They're like, okay, here's some cards on the table. This is what this is about. This is what we've been building towards. Now, that may not be satisfying because you've had to sit through like 15 Marvel products just to get to like what the point of the 15 Marvel products you've already watched was and what the point of the next 30 Marvel products you're going to watch is. Fair enough. 
we might be hitting this plot point a little too late in the game for this phase. Fair enough. But what they've been trying to do is in this cooldown period since Infinity War, they've been trying to build up the roster with new talent and trying to get those talent over, which is made up of mostly young women. And sort of the next iterations of characters and the next generation of people. There's been a passing of the torch. We've got to get, we got to start building these people up so that we can start putting titles on them and they can start drawing money because we need uh, Kate Bishop to draw money, whether that be through Disney Plus subscriptions or whether that be through box office. We've got to start building the next hot baby faces for the next big chase. And that takes a little while. And you could say they've done it in a very clunky fashion. And I would agree with you. And now we hear we are in Ant-Man. And Ant-Man doesn't need all of that character work because he's had two other films and multiple appearances, as have the other people in the Pym Ant-Man family, right? So this now becomes this bridge movie or the movie that initiates this new phase. And it's all about the heel. That's all about building out the mythology of the quantum realm and the mythology of Kang and the myth, what's happening, what's the goal, what's the initiative, what's the threat, what's the chase, who's the big bad that we got to go fight to get the title from. <clears throat> and on that level, I think the movie's successful. I think where it falls short is when it decides at times it still wants to put some of that humor in because it actually feels at odds with the story that they're telling which is just a reoccurring Marvel problem. It's much more noticeable here because it's Ant-Man characters relatively like they're kind of recast. And I don't know how to describe this, but like the like happy go lucky Ant-Man opening that we're so used to. There's something about it in this film, even though it's all the same people, I might be a different writer. It feels very disingenuous. The ending of the film, which I won't spoil felt more genuine. So, there's moments like that. I think that are going to read false for people. And if, again, if you're showing up because that's, I like Ant-Man because it's those things and those things feel like, like they have heart and this feels disingenuous and kind of cynical. It's going to be a big turnoff for you. If you're there because you're like, I like comic books and comic book storytelling and fantasy worlds. And you know, I like spaceships and lasers and bad guys who want to destroy the multiverse then you're going to like this stuff, I think. Or you're going to like enough of it. The second major issue with it is it's another story that deeply hinges upon Cassie. And that's just easier to do when you have a very cute kid who's a much better actress than her age should allow her to be. It's much tougher when you have like somebody who's probably like 20 years old or 25 or 18 or, you know, ostensibly like a young adult playing that character. It's like... I think we just intuitively give a shit less about a 20 year old person. Like I care about a six year old. I care about an eight year old. I care when he leaves his 10 year old or 12 year old and he comes back and she's 18. That that's a fucking blow in that movie. I don't really care about her anymore. And I don't think that performance in the movie is strong. So when the story really has to fall on her, especially as we build towards certain things in the plot where she's, she's, she's the new baby face they're trying to build up. And maybe she's going to take on the, this isn't a spoiler or anything. You know, maybe the, you know, Paul Rudd's in his fifties. Maybe she's going to take on the mantle of Ant-Man or Wasp or Joe will slide in my DMS and say, well, actually Cassie's this character, but okay. 
whatever, whatever characters, the Hornet, the whatever, the whatever, um, the Scorpion, the Stinger, the Black Fox, whatever she's going to be. It just feels like if I don't get on board at point A and you try to drop me off at point B, I'm not going to be excited to be there. You know what I mean? I didn't want to get on this bus to begin with. I didn't want to get, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I'm not enjoying the ride. So I don't really want to get to the point where now this character is real important all of a sudden. You understand what I'm saying? It's like the opposite of the Luke Skywalker effect. Where the Luke Skywalker effect was, by the end of that movie, no matter how whiny or obnoxious that kid is, you are so pumped that he blows up the Death Star. You're like, fuck yeah, right? Um, no matter how like whiny and insecure he is, when he throws down that lightsaber and says, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to join you, I'm, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, and like you're like, fuck yeah, Luke. Fuck yeah, don't kill your dad and don't kill the Emperor. Like, find your third path, Luke. Find the third way. You're excited for it because despite his flaws, there's an, you, you resonate enough with him as a character that you see yourself in him and you become excited. And I think we've had moments like that. We, we, have, we got eventually moments like that with, with Cap and with Thor and with Iron Man and some of these other characters. They've really struggled to get us on board to that same degree because there's this thing in wrestling where you can hot shot, where you can kill the town, where you can give so many people so much good and you get the territory so hot that you actually overheat the territory. Because now you've set the bar so high that anything you do is like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not as good as that night in the Omni. Yeah, they're a good tag team, but they're not the Rock and Roll Express. Let me tell you something. The Rock and Roll Express, when they were here two, five years ago, blah, 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 blah. And that's one of the greatest matches of all time. Because now there's a precedent that's been set. The freshness, the honeymoon's over. The freshness is gone. You, you, you've seen what they have to offer. You've made that emotional commitment. You're fully invested. And in many ways, you're invested in those characters kind of for life, whether they be wrestling personalities or comic book characters or MCU characters or Grey's Anatomy characters or whatever. And they go, okay, but yeah, but, but oh, get excited because here's the next generation. Like, yeah, it's all right, but doesn't hold a candle to such and such. And that's part of where I think Marvel is. You know, uh, um, yeah. We're not, we're not being given another round of Robert Downey Jr.'s and Chris Evans, right? I know we've all turned against him, but also like a Chris Pratt who's coming off of kind of being this sort of grassroots. He's in this fledgling sitcom that like a lot of people love, but most people loved even more after it was off the air towards the end of its run. And it's like they're going to give him a chance to play this character or like the Guardians of the Galaxy or like Batista or like, you know, they were bringing in like, like people who already had some degree of goodwill, but weren't exactly stars, but you could see that they had it, they had that potential. And then the MCU is like helping them get over and get to that next level and giving certain people second chances and giving certain people opportunities that, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like, Oh, and like the casting was perfect where it's like, Oh my God, black widow, Scarlett Johansson, of course. And it was just like, you're vibing with it. 
and you're building. It's the first time you're seeing it. It's like, ah, it's not, that's rough. It's not really good. But, but we're still, the momentum is still there. Even if the individual movies aren't always adding up, you, the, the excitement of the momentum of, are we going to do something? Are we going to, are we going to build towards a major crossover event like in a comic book, but on the big screen? And is the whole world going to join in? And the answer was yes. How do you do that again? Because you can only do it for the first time. And the answer is like psychologically, we as human beings, we typically after that, we go, okay, meh, been there, done that. So I think a lot of the deepest negative reviews are actually coming out of a larger storytelling lull that the MCU has found itself in. All right. Well, I've rambled quite a bit. Um, if I had to give this thing a score out of <coughs> five, I'm trying not to choke. What would I give it? Um, the problem for me is the movie was what it said it was on the tin. Like I saw the trailer that, that that's the movie. There's no, there's no, I wasn't tricked. It's tonally, visually, story-wise consistent with the trailer. I liked the trailer. I wasn't blown away by the movie, but I liked it. And I like these fantasy elements. And I like other worlds. And I love Jonathan Majors. I love him as his character. And he's got some delicious heel lines and a incredible villain delivery. So I eat that stuff up. I like that stuff. I like that kind of storytelling. So it doesn't wear thin on me as much, especially since I kind of modulated my expectations. I'm no longer expecting. I think it's possible to adapt comic books to the level of cinema. To use that high minded term that we love to throw around on Twitter. I know that's not the business of what Marvel is in. Marvel is adapting comic book stories into comic book movies, mass product comic book movies. So now when I go in, I literally sit down and I go, okay, if I was watching an episode of Justice League Unlimited, would I be so hard on it, right? Because I enjoyed the shit out of those shows, at least at the time I did. And that's kind of the lens I put these movies in. And sometimes I still find myself, like through most of phase four, not really enjoying them or not thinking that they're working. But in this instance, I'm like, if this was a cartoon, would I like this movie? If this was like a Marvel cartoon? And the answer is like, yeah, I really would. So, and for some people, it's like, well, you're downgrading your taste. No, I don't think so. I think what I'm actually doing is I'm kind of meeting the material where it is. Because we're now over a decade into this and 25 plus films. So if you're not walking in and going, okay, I'm meeting the material where it is and, I, and, and I'm taking it at face value, then you just, you're just you angry for the sake of being angry. You're disappointed for the sake of being disappointed. You know what you're going to get. You know how they tell stories now. You know, you know, more or less. So you're you're almost willfully ignoring the good so that you can join the cacophony of noise online. It's like these movies have destroyed filmmaking. They haven't, by the way. 
there's still tons of original films being made. You just got to know where to look for them. And also, with the internet, it's not that hard. For most people, here's what I'd say. For most people who I see do the most complaining online, or the types of people who do the most complaining, if they spent a quarter of that energy bitching about Ant-Man Mania as they would getting a Canopy subscription with a fucking free library card, they could tweet a whole hell of a lot less, or they could write a whole hell of a lot less blogs or four-hour fucking YouTube videos. Take it or leave it. This is what it is at this point. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. Some parts, I, some of them I like parts of, some of them I don't. I, I, you know, dislike parts of. It's episodic, comic book, pro wrestling storytelling, and if I accept it in those terms, it is what it is. So for me, I think I give this thing like a, probably a three and a half. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I will probably revisit it. I, I think the central storyline with the daughter doesn't work. Um, I think part of that is the machinations of the storytelling, but I also think a lot of it is this. I hate to say it, but I don't think she has it. Part of it's just charisma, especially because the dialogue's not going to do the heavy lifting for you. The story structure in these sort of films is not going to do the heavy lifting for you. It really comes down to personal charisma. This girl doesn't have any, and she has no chemistry with the rest of her cast. And I don't know if it's because she's new, newer to this world or whatever, but and maybe she'll find it, and maybe, oh, my God, Cassie Lang is my favorite character. It could happen. Um, she could also be recast. You know, they've done it before. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's that's, to me, kind of the biggest drawback of the movie. It's not what they wanted to do with the character that – because a lot of Phase 4, it wasn't even just how they executed it. It was the ideas that they had. It was like the entire conceit. I was like, I don't give a shit about this. Here, it's a little bit more perfunctory, but I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And you're executing it pretty well here, there, and yon. Um, uh, yeah. So um, those are my thoughts. I think I'd give it like a, what did I say, a 3, 3.5. Damn. Three feels too low, 3.5 feels too high, but Letterboxd does not have a 3.25. Uh, slight, overvalu slight overvaluation, 3.5 out of 5. Uh, good time at the movies. Liked it. Uh, more or less. Um, I'm going to have very brief spoilers when I get back on the other side of the sound. Modoc. <laughs> we gotta talk about Modoc. Uh, Modoc is in this movie. Um, Modoc has always been a stupid character, in my estimation. Um, I've never liked the character. Um, I've I've thought he's always looked stupid. I thought he's always been stupid. Um. I think the name is stupid. It's like, what is it? Mental, mental organism design only for killing or something like that. Um, I think is the original name for it. And in this one, I think they say mechanized organism. And it's um, a character. God, I don't even remember what his real name is. 
It's George something, I think. Uh, he's a scientist who was either, was he, I, I, there's been so many different versions of these characters. Either he was made by AIM or he was a scientist who fucked himself up with AIM experiments and then he ended up, or other experiments that he ended up creating AIM or whatever. And AIM is a major sort of corporate evil entity shadow organization that's all tied in throughout most of uh, the Marvel comics. Um, it's aim is in some ways almost like an anti shield. It's not quite right, but almost something kind of like that. Uh, or like, uh, it's like if shield and Oscorp were the same thing, it, like, or were united, it'd be kind of like aim, like Hydra shield and, um, Oscorp. If you put it all together, you know, and like the genius behind it all is this, just this giant fucking head that isn't a hover chair. His, like his suit is basically a little chair for his little tiny legs. It's just almost a goofy character. And <clears throat> they translate that character by making him Darren Cross in this movie, the villain from the first film. And it looks like George Lopez from Spy Kids. But they kind of know it because the the the... Douglas thing that got the biggest laugh is he eventually sees him and he goes, Darren, is that you? And then you think he's going to have like a, he goes, he goes, holy shit. What happened to you? Like that. Everybody's reaction is like your face. You got a big old face. It looks really fucking weird. <laughs> um, and it, it was like, ah, did you know, <laughs> did you know it looked this bad? But then again, it was like I like I I saw it because you see him in the trailer, playing his day. And so then when I was in the movie, it was only jarring for like a split second. And then my brain was just sort of like, this is what he looks like. He just looks like this. This is their interpretation of it. And the thing is, like, no matter what you did, I, I honestly I probably wouldn't have adapted him for the screen. If you are a big Modoc fan, because he is at times <coughs> a major player, a major villain. And so if you have like a lot of attachment to storylines that involve Modoc, um, they kill him in this movie. And his death is a joke. Yeah, uh, and he's got a baby face turn that's played as a joke. And it's just all of a sudden, like all the stakes of his character and the drama, and like, like, because if you're gonna make it Darren Cross, part of the idea has to be what you fucking did to me made me this. I've been stuck down here in the quantum realm and I'm disfigured and have been driven insane and have been tortured by Kang. And this is what I am now. I don't even remember who I was. I'm only Modoc. And all I remember is it's your fucking fault. That's kind of some heavy shit. And instead, like immediately, like he's telling his backstory. It's just jokes, 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 jokes. And so, and they're not funny. And so if like they're interrupting him being like, this is this horrible thing that happened to me. So, I think it, had he looked more, he's disturbing, but not, I don't think, in the way that they intended. And it might have been a thing where, honestly, the way these movies work sometimes, it might have been a thing where, I don't know if this is true, but I could foresee it have been a thing where they just couldn't get the effect right. And they're like, this looks really fucking silly. And it's like, well, if it looks silly, let's play it as silly. Because if we try to play it straight and tragic, and he looks this fucking goofy, so it didn't really bother me because I already knew he looked really goofy going into it. So like, I already accepted like, 
oh, they're gonna fuck that character up. And I don't and I don't have any emotional uh, investment to it. It's not like the I, the Mandarin, right? Where I'm like, that's a fucking major villain. They fucked up Doctor Doom, Victor Von Doom, again. I would just be that. I'd be I'd be pissed. So if you're out there, and you're like, I'm pissed. I love Modok. I totally understand. Um. The Cassie stuff just it just doesn't work. And that's the other part of why we make it Darren Cross because Darren terrorized her when she was a little girl in her bedroom. And I'm like, oh, I totally get why you would bring him back. And it makes sense based on how we last saw him and him getting kind of like turned inside out and disappearing in the quantum realm. Like it makes sense. Like what if he's down there and like Kang used advanced technology? Like honestly, like all the plot beats of it, I, I'm like, yeah. Oh, that it's it's. How they got there is and converge those two characters I, I, and why he needs to be there. And he's kind of as an underboss and an antagonist for Cassie and her story. Totally buy it. But again, it's played goofily. And at the same time, like mostly, but also they want you to take it seriously. And then at the same time, I just don't give a shit about his daughter or this version of her. So that's tough stuff. Um... But it's, it's not so much, there's not so much MODOK that I hate it. Uh, when they get sucked into the quantum realm, there are some ants that get sucked in with them who have uh, basically, like, through PIM technology, are like super intelligent ants. And then they go in the quantum realm, and then we just don't see them for the entirety of the movie. And I was like, well, obviously that's like, you know, Chekhov's ants. They're going to come back at some point. And um, they do. And I love the ants in the Ant-Man movies. And it's really cool. They come back and the ants basically, it's like the whale from fucking <laughs> uh, Avatar, Way of Water. The ants save the day. The ants help the rebellion. It's very Rise of Skywalker-esque. Uh, the rebellion of all these like desolate people who are never exactly explained where these people have come from. But there's just like, oh, we didn't even know there were people here. Where did you come from? They're like, we're from all over here. It's like, that's not an answer. So some of that stuff was like not great, but um, the ants got stuck in a time dilation loop for a thousand years. They experienced in one second, a thousand years. So they were already super advanced ants. And now they are basically more advanced than Kang or as advanced as Kang. That's the entire idea of Kang is that he is just a man. So just like, what are you? Who are you? He's like, I'm just a man. It's not a lie. He's just a guy with superior technology. He's just a dude. He's just a, literally a human being. And I'm fairly sure, certain he's just an earthling. Um, but he's from uh, the 4,000s, I think. And um, discovers technology created by one of his ancestors who is... I, this is coming off the top of my head. I think this is right. At least in some incarnation. Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. Victor Timely. Yes. Yeah, um, uh, which is one of the after credit scenes. So, uh, basically, here's your spoilers. Janet Van Dyne, when she was in the quantum realm, uh, was quasi de-aged, but not really. I don't know why. Her like she should have been even more de-aged, but I guess the idea is she had already been in there a long time. Kang eventually finds his way there. Uh, he says he he, you know, was like her. He's a traveler. And he um, somehow ended up there by accident. And he shipwrecked there, basically. 
And his ship is a multiversal ship. He can travel between multiverses in time and space. So therefore, he can get her back, uh, Janet Van Dyne. He can get her back to the moment she left. And so it'll be as if she lost no time whatsoever. And no one will be the wiser. Uh, he just needs help rebuilding his ship. Well, just so happens she's a super genius. But they work and they work and they work and they work. And she says ages. It seems like it's about 15 minutes. But that's where like okay superior filmmaking we should have seen the passage of time so where when he arrived she should have been i know people age differently in the multiverse or in the quantum realm rather but i think she should have been looked like really young and then like semi-aged up just a little bit or something should have shown us the passage of time and because it's like we worked on this forever and ever and ever but but then they eventually figure it out and she eventually figures out because the fuel source, basically, for his ship gets damaged. It's like, just think back to the future three. He's Kanye stuck in the old west, but in this instance, it is the quantum realm, and Jan Van Dyne is Doc, and she's got Doc's hair and everything, and the goggles. It's Back to the Future three, goddammit. it. Um. Anyway, so she uh, when she's installing the fuel system of the ship because the ship is linked to his brain, and she's been the Presumably because she's been in the quantum realm. Because if you remember, she's developed like weird powers with like touch and shit. And, she's, and that might not be right, but that's just where my brain went to. Whatever, whatever reason, she touches the ship, she can see inside of his mind. And she realizes that he's not whoever he presented himself to be, which they never show us. Instead, he is Kang, the Conqueror. And he's been going from world to world and timeline to timeline and wiping them out. In some sort of revenge against variants of himself. And she realizes I, he was not, he didn't accidentally shipwrecked here, shipwrecked here. He was exiled here. And if he's exiled here, because this is outside of time and space, it's the one thing he doesn't have control over. Right? So I've just helped him get out. Now, the point where that doesn't really make sense is if they put him there no, with the technology knowing that he could get out, the idea is they sabotage the ship, blah, 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 blah. He should have sabotaged it more, fuckers, because, like, he's a super genius. Theoretically, right? So what was to stop him from rebuilding? I don't know. But I guess, theoretically, he is the superior Kang in some instant, some way. So it took all the other Kangs to be able just to put him in jail for a little while. So I guess that kind of makes sense, kind of plays out, so... Um, anyway, and so then she joined up with Bill Murray's character, Kylar, I think is his name. And they led a revolution of people that are never explained where these people came from against Kang because Kang got enough of his technology working that his suit started to work again and enough his te technology that his superior technology that he could essentially conquer the quantum realm or at least a portion of it. And he would just burn down and destroy any rebellion against him. And um, essentially, as a terrorist slash leader of the Freedom Fighters or a co-leader uh, with Bill Murray, one day, from their perspective, she just took the fuck off, just disappeared, convinced them to fight this guy at the cost of many of their loved ones and lives, and they just left. Right? And that's when she was rescued out of the quantum realm. So um, she is... Nobody on this 
in this dimension, this subatomic dimension that likes her at all, which is kind of interesting. And um, uh, they eventually meet up with some travelers uh, who are not who one of them's they're, they're characters for the comic books, but they're they're given no time, no time to breathe. They're standard. It might as well be the girl on the horse from Rise of Skywalker. And Cassie befriends one of them. But, but the other, I think the other problem with this movie is um, <clears throat> there's a point at which Cassie's like, I'm so sorry, Dad. Because it gets like dark, okay, for a while. So for an, an Ant-Man movie. It gets heavy. And she's like, I'm so sorry, Dad. I, this is all my fault. I messed up. This isn't like, like she got him stuck in a time loop. Or something. Or even she got them all stuck in the quantum realm, which is like just affects them. She's basically given back to Kang and incentivized Kang to kill thousands of people. And he does it. We watch him eviscerate people with his fucking laser beam hands. All of those deaths are on her fucking head. So it's really hard to be like, you know what? You did you you did instigate a genocide, but I'm sure glad you learned how to be ant woman, ant girl. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm sure glad you got the got a suit and you punched a bad guy in the face. I'm sure glad for it. I'm sure glad you learned how to get giant. Because like the trade-off isn't really worth it. So it makes it really hard to root for her character because it's all her fault. All everything that happens in this movie is because of her unwillingness to just like take fucking directions. Whether it's understandable or not, it's very frustrating. Um, I don't think the you have to write those characters in such a way, and they try to do it because it's like, well, she didn't really know the danger because Janet never told anybody the story because there's all, but the, okay, but then when she's like, oh, I didn't tell the story because I'm partially responsible for a guy who might destroy the multiverse. Like that's played kind of serious, but it takes that character beyond the point of logical, like who are who are you afraid of, mom? What are you telling me? Blah 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 blah. blah. And then like it takes like half the movie before Michelle Pfeiffer. They're already in the goddamn quantum realm. You're there at that point. You need to tell them what the threat is. So they stretch that out forever, which I felt was unnecessary. I know it seems like I'm bitching, but and then like. The, oh, well, Janet was actually fucking this other guy, and that's why she didn't want to say anything. Michael Douglas is like, yeah, I had somebody else, too, while you're gone. It's no big deal. And it's like, uh, like why did we make that a, why did we make that a point, you know? And it's elements like that that I think, if you think about it too hard with Marvel, it bothers you. And when you realize that these scripts are written by, like, 30 different people and are cobbled together, and then stuff is reshot like a week before it comes out in theaters, and they're still finishing the special effects, and they're upgrading the firmware. Like movies, like Marvel movies, now come with DLC, where it's like I, I I'm this is not a joke. Where they're like the theaters will have to like re-download the movie or, re, or get a new hard drive, and and they'll have like improved special effects. Like everybody made fun of Cats for that, but it's becoming more and more industry standard for movies like this, and they're working. Within six weeks of the movie being released, they're on a soundstage in Manhattan Beach redoing it. And that's my other criticism of it is you've, they've created a very imaginative world. I can't say it's completely original, but it's really abstract. It's on par with a lot of the stuff we've seen, more interesting things we've seen from either the Guardians films or um, 
Doctor Strange. But there's this like middle battle sequence where um, Modok and these droids, uh, which I'm sure have a name, these Ultrons that belong to Kang are running around, right? And they're 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 specifically trying to get Cassie and uh, Scott because they realize that two things: one that that they're associated with Janet, and he wants revenge against Janet. Uh, and two, because there's a very specific thing that needs to be done for him to be able to get his fuel source, to be able to activate his ship, and to be able to go into the back into the multiverse and destroy everything, and continue his revenge plot against his other versions of himself. <clears throat> so he needs them. He specifically needs these characters. He needs pim particles, basically. He needs pim particles. And he wants to use them as leverage against Janet because he wants revenge against her. Makes perfect sense. Paul Rudd and the daughter character, Cassie, the actress, they run seemingly in a four foot by five foot <laughs> space. It's probably more like <laughs> 25 by 25. And there's this vast world around them, but it's very clear they're only moving in a box. And it makes it look as if they're running around, you know, uh, like they ran into a circle or something around like a building. But you can very clearly tell that they're just, they literally are just running within the same 10 feet, 12 feet. And everything's being animated around them. And it fills the action in this, this expansive universe. The, the action feels this claustrophobic, really only in that particular middle scene at the, uh, refugee camp that Cassie gets murdered and eviscerated and burned. Um, it feels like an old timey movie where they'd have like people run in place and have a rear screen projection behind them. Like you're they're that boxed in, you know, it, it's, it's, it's actually the opposite of star Wars. Where it's like a big ass wide shot on a huge ass set. And, you know, two characters square, you know, shoot lasers at each other in a real space, you know, that's what, that's what made star Wars. It opened up the frame for, for adventure serial type movies. And we, all we've done with computers is we just shrunk it again because you're just on it. And it which is actually George Lucas. <laughs> he both opened and closed the frame and we just have never fucking recovered. And man, it's like so, people worked their ass off to create something interesting to look at. And it's kind of abstract and muddy and soupy at times, but at other times there's really a lot of like really interesting abstraction going on. And Jesus, man, it's just like we're just pinned in this box. Uh, so those, I mean, that's it. It's if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. I guess what you would want to know is just what happens with Kang. Kang dies. The Kang the Conqueror dies, or at least this iteration of him dies. Both literally this iteration in terms of there are infinite variant variants of him who make up in the comic books very famously the Council of Kangs. <laughs> that was all sounds stupid because it kind of is, but it's also kind of cool. Um, they recreate the famous Council of Kangs scene where one of the characters is looking off the page. They don't do it quite as effectively. I was like, they, they pull back, they pull back, they pull back, they pull back, and that king has a very specific name. 
It might be the Kroll King, but I don't remember. But he's looking straight at the fucking you because he's aware of you, that you are reading this, that they're going to invade your multiverse, true believer. And he's just sort of like looking off in space and then it cuts. I don't know. That's one of the after credits. The other after credit is Victor Timely's in the 40s or 30s or 20s or 1800s or something. And he kind of seems like a snake oil salesman. He's like, maybe we could control time and then cut to Loki and Mobius. Not Morbius, Mobius. Is it? Yeah. Um, Luke Wilson and uh, uh, Hiddleston. And Hiddleston is absolutely shitting himself. He's like, it's him. It's him. And he's like, that's him? Because he's just like, the, it's Victor Timely. He's like this kind of affable scientist, or so we believe. That's it. Uh, so, Cain the Conqueror gets sucked into his multiversal engine and dies. But he's like, you still don't see, do you? This isn't the end. She's like, it's over. It's the end. He's like, this isn't the end. And because it's all time loop, he's like, I've seen the end from the beginning. Like, I live outside of time. And so, like, maybe that's the point at which he died. But at some point, he's still going to meet Loki. Like, like, the whole, like. And maybe that also bothers people because it feels as you feel as if there are no stakes because anything could happen at any time. You just bring a character back because it's a it's multiverse or well that happened, but that was later in the timeline, even though you think it was before. I it could get very messy, it could be a cheat, but I don't know. I kind of like that stuff. So um I like this one. It's a uh, middling film, I think with some good elements. I enjoyed its runtime. I I was not as with any of these Marvel pieces, there are things I wouldn't, I would do differently, but I'm not booking the territory. All right, let me know in the comments below what you thought. You can find us at pot, bingemovies.podbean.com. Don't forget we have a store with merchandise over at Threadless. Was it, was it bingemovies.threadless.com? Too many dot coms. Uh, if you go to our Twitter account, at bingemovies, you'll see a link tree there. And it has all of our links to everything you need to find. So go to at binge movies and use the link tree and it'll take you to everything that you want. Binge movies related. I've rambled enough. Till next time. Binge on. Binge on.